talking about unity, and God, he just does things so poetically and beautifully. So, Lord, we thank you for just living examples of your heart, that you are so kind and so welcoming and warm and gentle. So, Lord, we just let us feel that. You just continue, even though the music has stopped. I pray that the, the song, the new song that's being sung in heaven over Light Hop, that we'd feel that all night, even as we're talking about night and day singing Watchmen. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this is week five. We've got one more week after tonight. Um, and tonight uh, feels very special to me as I was writing the notes. I just really felt the, the Lord's pleasure over kind of the convergence of all of these realities here tonight with us. Okay, so item one, Israel will be reached God's way. Now, a lot, of, a lot of us know, maybe just because it's in the atmosphere right now, that Israel is going to eventually see Jesus as Messiah. But there's a specific way that she's going to do that, and that's really kind of the point of all these messages, the last four that we've been laying out. And tonight we're going to see that there's really not anything left to wonder about. There is a lot to agree with, but there's not much that we have to wonder about, and there's really, we don't want to be indifferent We want to actually know what Jesus is doing because of what Jen was just praying, that we could actually miss the day of our visitation if we don't know what to watch for. And that's really what happened to the Pharisees in the time of Jesus' first coming is that they had all these realities that they were waiting for, that they were expecting, and Jesus didn't meet any of them. He actually, they used prophecy to miss Jesus. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to use prophecy to miss Jesus, okay? So Israel's going to be reached God's way, and we can know what that is. In Isaiah 34 and 35, God addresses the nations. So if you're taking notes and you don't have the notes, maybe just jot that down. Isaiah 34 and 35, that's actually instructions to us, to the nations, to Gentile believers. He tells us, those who come out of the nations into his spirit, how to prophetically minister to Israel. Now, Abigail was singing a song, and it actually has a theme that's very common to the, to the modern church, which is it's the cry of the nations for Yeshua to come. And that's not untrue. That is actually true. It's the groan of creation even. It's the cry of the earthquakes. It's the cry of the storms. The nations are crying out for something they don't understand. So when we see the protest movements all over the world, when we see wars and rumors of wars, when we see, uh, you know, just the, the general groan of creation, that's actually a groan for Jesus. But the nations won't know that until after he comes back. According to the Bible, there's not going to be a moment where Jesus becomes so popular and all the nations are crying out for him, and then he comes. That's, that's just a narrative that the flesh creates, and it actually creates movements and momentum in ministries to think that, to think, okay, if we get our act together enough, we'll be so inviting to the city, they'll all want to come in and invite Jesus. But the opposite narrative is happening in the Bible. God is actually sifting out people that have signed up for his leadership because he wants a really pure, spotless witness that will then go disciple the nations into that very same cry. He's not going to do like a big popularity thing where people don't really know him that well, but they just want him so bad. He Actually, the same way that he's dealing with you is the way that he's going to deal with the nations, which is individually, he's going to get everybody as much as they want of him. And that's going to take a, a very long time after he returns. Okay, so Isaiah 35, 3 to 10. This is what the, the, the few and narrow do in this moment in time when we see Israel being shaken among the nations. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted. Now, this is specifically telling the nations, starting in Isaiah 34, God says, it's, it actually the title of the New King James, James is God addresses the nations. 
So he says to the nation, say this to Israel, okay, to the fearful hearted. Now, is Israel fearful hearted right now? Very, actually very. And this is what we're supposed to say. Be strong. Do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, and he will come to save you. That should actually be our counsel to Israel, is that don't fear. God's coming. Now, you can't say be strong and do not fear if you're not strong and do not fear. You can't say it with integrity. So that's really what we want to look at our own lives and say, and, and actually Sunday I was talking about this a little bit, what am I afraid of? Where, where is my witness to Israel to not fear compromised by my own fear? Where can I, you know, if somebody tells you to do something that they don't do themselves, they're called what? A hypocrite. And that's actually what Jesus said to the Pharisees, that they were hypocrites. So we don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to say to Israel, don't fear when we're afraid of a bunch of stuff impacting our lives negatively. So we have to actually agree with Israel that this is a tough time, but we don't have to be afraid. And it's a tough time for us, too. It's a tough time for everybody. Okay? Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. When we do this, when we say this to Israel, the nations say this to Israel, it says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. Now, this sounds really poetic, but what is it actually describing happening? You can talk. Healing. Exactly. Thank you, Annie. Yes, this is talking about the pouring out of the Spirit. When, when the nations say this, the remnant from the nations, the faithful ones who come out of Babylon is what that means. When they say this to Israel, he's going to pour out his Spirit, and people are going to get healed. That's what it's talking about, okay? So the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, the lame shall leap like a deer, the tongue of the dumb shall sing, for water shall burst forth in the wilderness. Now it went from healing to what? Transformation, exactly. The transformation of the earth. The streams in the desert, the parched ground shall become a pool. Now I want to tell you, in Israel, they've been able to do this in the strength of man. Like they're really good with agriculture, they're really good at turning seawater into fresh water, we don't want to reduce this to something man can do. That's the deception, right? Is That Israel could be a, a shining beacon to the nations of, of wisdom without God or ability without God. That's the counterfeit. And she is. I mean, being there, it's amazing. I mean, literally every kind of fruit can grow in Israel. It's, it's incredible what they've done in their own strength. But God wants to do something supernatural. He actually wants to do it starting in Israel to the point where it comes here. He wants it to spread out from Israel to all of the nations, okay? So this is where we put our hope as well for the renewal of Kalamazoo. You know, we have problems in our city. We have a murderous problem in our city, a violence problem. We have a lack. And the answer to all that is found in this passage, okay? And that's our testimony to Israel is that we believe in this too. We're not trying to fix it and then telling her to trust God, okay? The parched ground shall become a pool, the thirsty land springs of water, in the habitation of jackals, where each lay there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and a road, and it, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. Now it went from healing to the renewal of the land to transformation. Now what's it talking about? Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. Wisdom, direction, exactly. This is, this is talking about, hey, it's not on you to know what to do. Actually, if you'll agree with God about what he's doing, he'll give you all the things you're tempted to be afraid that you don't know what to do, right? No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Now, he's, he's really talked about all the judgments in Revelation 6. It's really an addressing all of the, the seal judgments in Revelation 6. The wild animals, sickness, uh, you know, lack, all these things are being addressed. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, 
With everlasting joy on their heads, that they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now, I want to remind you, I started this passage by saying, this is what God's instructions are to the nations, to have this testimony for Israel. It's actually really clear what we're supposed to be doing right now. We're supposed to be working on building this testimony. Not that we got really holy and God approved us, and then he poured out his spirit because we did so good, but because we were in a tight spot and we just believed, be strong, do not fear. God's going to come with vengeance. He's going to, the recompense, he's going to come and save us. We're putting all of our hope on him. Now that preach is great. It lives harder. The church didn't live that out during COVID very well at all. What's coming is even harder than COVID because the public pressure for the church to conform to the world's ideas about righteousness is going to be much more uh, strong when the war comes against, from the nations comes against the church. It's going to be very strong because it's going to be about Israel. And already there's a sentiment in the earth that your opinion about Israel, it could be criminal. It could be offensive. It could be genocide. It could be, you know, whatever you think. It's so, it's so uh, consequential, okay? And that, did you feel that during COVID? Did you feel like, oh man, my choice about the vaccine seems to matter to a lot more people than just me? And so we felt a pressure to do something, or my, my opinion about masks, or my opinion about meeting together, my opinion about work, my opinion about kids, school, like everything became so consequential for a, a, a period of time. This is going to be way worse as this thing in Israel spreads out to the nations, which it is right now. It is right now. This passage describes above, this Isaiah 35, 3 to 10 passage, it describes the tabernacle of David, Joel 2, Acts 2, Leviticus 26, Leviticus, Revelation 21. These are all talking about the same thing. They're all talking about repentance, tearing of the heart to the point where God pours out his spirit, and then he changes the atmosphere and renewal starts to unfold. That's, all of these passages are talking about the same thing. That's the tabernacle of David. If you have eyes to see it, you can see it in First and Second Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. You can see, oh, the tabernacle of David is actually about transformation. When I first got involved with night and day prayer, God brought together several churches from the city in a thing called KHOP, and a bunch of these people that had been kind of interested in night and day prayer all came together, and we all found out we were interested for completely different reasons. And some people, I was really interested in the idea of the return of Jesus. Many of the people that I met weren't interested in that at all. They didn't even know that was part of the night and day prayer movement. What they were interested in was transformation. In fact, they had watched George Otis Jr. videos of places all over the world that had prayed night and day, and God had literally come, turned prisons into churches, turned places that wouldn't grow anything to places that grow stuff like crazy, places where tons of people were alcoholics, and it turned them into like night and day praying believers they were all interested, not all of them, but many of the people that I met were interested in transformation. I didn't even know that was part of the deal, <laughs> but it is, significantly. So there's lots of things connected to the tabernacle of David that we might not be thinking about that actually are. Okay, so prophetic ministry to music or the tearing of the heart, pouring out of the spirit, demonstrated in the supernatural turning away of enemies, healing, provision, change in the land, and God's direction, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. That's, that, that is the reality of God dwelling with man or the tabernacle of David or what David did to invite God to be enthroned on the praises of Israel. So as we talked about last week, David's the only human in the Bible known as the man after God's heart. This should be the most important concept to explore for people that want to be after God's heart. He's given us an example. Now, Jesus is also an example, and he is an offspring of David. He is the, the, the prophetic offspring of David. Right? And, da- and he's also the root of David, both. Okay, so if we want to understand Jesus, we want to understand David. If we want to understand what it looks like to be a person after God's heart, we want to understand Jesus and David and the two together. And that's really what we were talking about last week. 
Israel's looking for a Messiah like David, though she can't see the heart of David, only the works. That's what she can see right now is how David helped Israel, how David led Israel into righteousness, into victory, into economic prosperity, into no wars, into unity, internal unity, how David led Israel to be faithful to God, how David led Israel to have a good reputation among the nations. Like David did all those things, and Israel wants that again, okay? I'm listening to this book uh, by a lady named Noah Tishby, and she talks about just like we all want to be important, we want to be seen right, we want to be beautiful, I mean, she literally uses these same terms that sometimes we talk about in the idea of the longings of the human heart. She's saying Israel as a nation feels this way too. Like, they want to be accepted. They, they don't want to be the illegitimate nation in the earth. They don't want to be the usurpers. They, so we have to understand, like, this, there's so much national identity that's, like, riding on somebody like David coming to fix what's going on right now. And she's secular, yeah. She's not a religious person at all. I mean, blatantly secular. Um, okay, so David sang to the distressed, afflicted, and wearied as warfare against demons. So Israel is looking for a Messiah like David, though she can't see the heart of David, only the works. But God's preparing her heart to see it. I almost missed the most important part. That's what this war is right now. That's what the pressure on Israel is right now, is he's preparing her heart to see something in her desperation. She needs the fear of the Lord. She actually needs to see God. And we see God the best in our times of greatest need. We'll always see God the best when we really need to. And that's what he's doing right now, is getting her ready to see something. This is what John the Baptist was doing before Jesus came. He was actually at the Jordan River baptizing people so they could recognize Yeshua when he came as the Messiah. And they'd ask him, what should we do? And he said, you've got to tear your heart. You actually have to look at your own internal heart. Don't say that you're sons of Abraham. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. That's really this message right here. The same Joel 2, Tabernacle of David message. Okay, So David... He sang to the distressed, afflicted, and wearied as warfare against demons. So when we look at Isaiah 35, and God says to the nations, strengthen weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong. And then we see a little bit further down, the singing, that's what David did. David actually took oppressed people and sang over them prophetically, and demons ran away. Okay, now that started when he was a little kid in Saul's house, okay? So 1 Samuel 16, 14 to 16. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand, and when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, you shall be well. Some counselor in Saul's court was like, hey, you know, we're Israelites. <laughs> Let's worship God over you and see this demon flee. Like it was in, the, it was in the, the, the national understanding that this is how it worked. And they found David. David was the guy they found, right? And so it was, wherever the spirit of, whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Now look at that passage, and then go back to Isaiah 35, and you're like, wait, This is like a really weary land, a really weary people, right? He's saying strengthen the feeble. Like they're weary, they're weak. Say to them what's true. And as they believe it, when they get eyes to see it, then all of this stuff is going to start to turn around for them. It's a spiritual reality. This witness, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. When we have a testimony that Jesus did this for us, it's prophetic for other people. 
right? We could tell other people what to believe all day long, but if we don't actually do it and believe it, it's hypocrisy. It's not prophetic. But if I did it, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you what God did for me. That's prophetic. That's different, right? And the church has to move from being hypocritical to being prophetic. That's the point of the house of prayer. That's the point of all the things that we talk about here. It's that we don't tell God what what to do with the world. We don't tell the world what to do with God. We ask God to have his way with us, and then we get a testimony that's prophetic for the world. That's what David did, okay? If you remember when David faced Goliath, People were trying to talk him out of it, and he's like, I, I already had this experience. I have a testimony that God protects me from lions and bears. He's going to protect me against Goliath. I'm not really worried about that. And when he did that, it was prophetic for all of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel started to win a war because David had a testimony, right? This is what we want. Now, David was very young when God ministered through him this way, but this method of spiritual refreshing became the cornerstone of his future kingdom. Do you see that? That's what it says happened to Saul. Just like the land is refreshed in Isaiah 35 for the nation, Saul experienced this over and over where when David played his harp and sang prophetically, Saul was refreshed. He was like tired. He was beaten down. He was, Saul was not the perpetrator in this passage. He looks like it though, doesn't he? Saul was the victim. David was the liberator. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? But when we read it, we're like, no, Saul was the bad guy that wanted to kill David. David really wasn't that afraid of Saul. David had the fear of the Lord, and so he was able to impart something to a victim, and he actually honored Saul's position as king, even when God said he wasn't king anymore, because David was unafraid he could afford to. David could afford to honor the anointing, the the remnant of an anointing on Saul, because he had something that came from heaven and flowed out through him into the earth. You have to have this. There's a war coming to find out if you have this. And so if you have this, your enemies become people that you can love. If you don't have this, it's impossible, literally impossible to love your enemies. And if you've tried to love your enemies, you know what I'm saying is true. You have to get to the place where you you have a power differential between you and your enemies, where you can have mercy on people because you see them as victims, not perpetrators. All over the earth, Satan is trying to convince us all that we're the victim and somebody else is the perpetrator, but that's not true. If we have the spirit, we're the victor. Right now, we're the helper right? Because the spirit's inside of us. So David was very young when this happened, but this became ingrained in everything that he did. Saul's attempts to lead Israel in the flesh, they desolated and divided Israel. David went up to Hebron. So if you know the story about David becoming king, when David became king, we find out Israel was torn. That's where really you see the nation of Judah become governed by someone different. It's when David became king. Saul had divided Israel and didn't even realize it. And when David became king, it became evident, oh, they want David and Judah. And then within seven years, Saul's reign through Ishbosheth, I can't say his name right, Ishbosheth, that was Saul's son who took over. It deteriorated so much because of infighting that eventually the, the rest of the nation came to David and said, Be king over us. Because the way that David governed was actually the way that God governs. And it was renewing Judah already. And they could see it. And the way that Saul governed was destroying the rest of Israel, and they could see that too. Now, when you look at the nations, do you think we're mostly ruling like David, or do you think we're mostly ruling like Saul, the church? Because we can't blame the nations. The nations don't have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. Is the church mostly ruling like David or mostly ruling like Saul? Like Saul, we see a lot of desolation, right? Even our churches are almost desolated at this point. Churches are very thin, very pressed. There's a reason for that. There's a lack of the tabernacle of David. 
That's, the, that's why it's happening. But God's going to turn this all around for a remnant in the church to reach a remnant in Israel. Okay. Now, Ish-bosheth's kingdom continued to deteriorate due to internal division for seven years as David's strength. And after seven years, when David was 30 years old, we say 30 years old. Who else was 30 when he started his big ministry? Jesus, yes. David is a type and shadow of Jesus. Jesus is a manifestation of the perfection of the heart of David. Okay? So if you want to know, what's it look like to be a perfect David? Jesus. If you, if you had the tabernacle of David living inside of you all the time, you would literally look like Jesus. Jesus did this perfectly. He, and what that means is he didn't do what he wanted to. He did only what he saw the Father doing. David did this as a type and a shadow of Jesus. He didn't do it perfectly. He, did it, he came as close as he could to it, though. And that's what God wants from us. Just, he doesn't want us to do it perfectly. Jesus is the one who did it perfectly. He wants us just as close to it as we possibly can. Okay? Now, the first act as the leader of all of Israel that David undertook was conquering Jabus. Who knows what Jabus is? What city is Jabus now? Jerusalem. It was the last stronghold of the Canaanites in Israel. And it was conquered by a united Israel that David united in the tabernacle of David. He, in the reality of the same thing, he refreshed Saul by playing his harp and trusting God and prophetically singing something over Saul. He led his life through the wilderness, through the caves, through the deserts, even though he stumbled, even though he made mistakes. He always came back to running to God and not from God when he found out what he needed. This led him to ask God where to be king. God showed him the nation was divided and sent him to Hebron to rule over Judah. In the, the, the reality, the witness of the way David led was a, a prophetic witness to the rest of Israel to come to David, right? And when he became king, he took this united kingdom and he took the very last stronghold of darkness in the land of Canaan and turned it into Jerusalem, which is now the place where God's supposed to be worshipped forever. And that was a, a promise God had given Moses back in Deuteronomy. He said, when you conquered all the enemies in the land, I give you rest from your enemies. I'll show you the place I'm to be worshipped forever. And that was Jerusalem. That's what David did. Okay, we've talked about that here before. Now, once he did that, he moved the Ark of the Covenant there. It took him two tries because he tried to do it in his own strength once, and then he did it the way that the Spirit wanted him to the second time. And then David established the tabernacle of David to bring the Ark of the Presence into it. So he brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem to the tent he had erected for it. And that's really what the Tabernacle of David was for. He put it up for the Ark of the Covenant, according to the Bible. Okay, so 2 Samuel 6, 17 to 22. So they brought the Ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the Tabernacle that David had erected for it. So let's practically apply this to our reality of 90-day prayer. Let's just practically apply it to Lighthop because this is where we're at tonight. What is this thing for? What's this building set up for? For the presence of God, right? To worship God. Do we come here to get God to come here? No. God is here. God built this place. This was God's idea. But we can come here faithless and think God's not here. But God is here. Now, when David did this, was Israel all way better by then? Okay, they got it all cleaned up and then God came. No, God came and got it all cleaned up. That's the only way it works. So we have to be a people that are faithful, that when we walk into this place or into, and when we're in our city and we're like, hey, there's a tabernacle of David in Kalamazoo. This city's got it made. Does it look like it everywhere? But it will. It will. If 
we agree with him about his presence being here. Now, there's many places where he's done this. What are some places where God set up his presence and then leveled the place? The temple, Shiloh. In fact, God says over and over in the Bible to people in in this generation, in David's generation, look at Shiloh. When you start going away from me, maybe not David's generation, but the generations of the kings that came after David in Kings and Chronicles, God always points back to Shiloh. He says, I set my presence in Shiloh. It was the prophet city. There's nothing there now. Agree with me. Agree with me. Stop your adultery. Stop putting one foot on God and one foot on your plans to make things better, is what he says. So we don't want to lose our crown. We don't want to lose the government of God in Kalamazoo. And the way that we don't lose it is we don't get afraid of losing it. We actually agree with him that he did this, that he's here, and we start operating in faith and dealing with what's in here instead of trying to deal with keeping this. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Yes. Yes. He's not, he's not trying to... So for the sake of the stream, Samantha's saying this reminds her of the story of Elijah facing the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, where the prophets of Baal were working so hard to get their God to move, where Elijah was just trying to humbly agree with God and let God be the one that was moving, not him. So Lord, we just pray that. We pray that for this place. We pray that for Israel right now, that Israel wouldn't be impatient to try and make you do something or to do something to get it ready for you, but she'd see that it can't be ready for you until you come in Jesus' name. It's always the, it, it always takes God to love God. Even in the, when we look at Israel, we can see they're waiting for a red heifer so they can make the sacrifice to make the temple clean so they can go up on the temple. Like, they can't really do anything without a miracle, but they're getting impatient. We can't really do anything without a miracle either, but we get impatient too. And I want to tell you, this, this building is a miracle. It, it was something that was prayed for from 2011 all the way to, to 2016, that there would be a house of prayer in Kalamazoo. I was praying it for that whole time. And I, God had taken us through several of them, and, and we watched them rise and fall. Now, I don't want to see this one fall, but I, I don't want to see it rise on its own either. Like, I want God to do what God's going to do. I just want to agree with him as much as I can personally that this is a miracle and that this means the city is going to be safe. Now, that takes faith. It takes faith. But a little bit of faith goes a long way. It can move mountains, right? Faith of a mustard seed goes a long way. Okay. So they brought the ark of the, of the Lord. They set it into place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both men, women and men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to, to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all of his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you've spoken, by them I will be held in high honor. Now, David said something profound in this statement to his wife. He was saying, I'm actually not setting this tent up and playing music and worshiping the Lord so that people will see I'm a good guy. He says, I'm doing it to be debased. 
I'm actually setting this up not for my own glory, not so I've got a platform, not so I can show you my skill, not so I can get better at it. I'm actually setting this up just to say thank you to God that he's willing to dwell with me. When we come here, it's very tempting to make this about performance, like doing good, being good, opportunity, getting better skill. People come in, we feel embarrassed, we feel ashamed. We're supposed to be working all that out. David didn't do it for any of those reasons. He's like, I plan to be even more undignified than you saw today, honey. Like, my, my goal is that God would be the one who's glorified, and I would decrease. Who else said that? John the Baptist. He said, I have to decrease while he increases. All the faithful people in the Bible, that's what they do. They decrease. So I think that we're doing this. I think we're starting to learn, oh, life isn't about me being the good one or the, the, the one who gets all the credit or the one who gets the glory. My, my life is actually to be laid down. And the more I do that, the more I actually, he does stuff through me. And the temptation grows to take credit for it. But the grace and the anointing to put that down in the dust, what does that sound like? The crown going at the feet of Jesus, right? That's what that is. It's your responsibilities being cast at the feet of Jesus. But your responsibilities are always a temptation for you to start asserting yourself as a king, as somebody who's good and in charge and benevolent and We just don't want to get into that. David didn't get into that, okay? So David didn't sing and play before the Lord to honor his skill, though he had a lot of skill. According to the Bible, he had supernatural prophetic ability that nobody is credited in Israel as having besides him. But that is not why he set up the tabernacle of David, right? He didn't set it up before the Lord to honor his skill or give place for his dignity, but to actually glorify God's willingness to abide with him. And this is where the end-time prayer movement has to mature to. This is what the shaking of IHOPKC and all the prayer places all over the earth, even, even little old IHOP, this is what the shaking is about. It's about us saying, this isn't about my glory. This isn't about my opportunity. This isn't about me increasing in skill or any anointing or any of that. This is about a place to say thank you to God for giving us the place. We just want to come and not waste the amazing thing he's given us. We don't come here to pray because God needs our prayers. We come here to pray because we can, because he gave it to us to talk to him and to abide together. And what will happen is we humble ourselves into that, and nobody does that naturally. But as we learn to do that, what we'll get is unity. It's just easy to live with people when you have nothing that you need from them, and you just want to outpour thanksgiving to God on them, right? That's what David was really doing. Okay, so uh, it wasn't a show of skill, talent, or strength. It was agreement with God's government. Though Israel cannot see this heart of David, they can see that what it produced, though. They can see that this works, right? They can't see his heart. God's orchestrating a moment where this is all that Israel will see. This is the only thing that will get her attention, according to the Bible. This is it. So we want to be ready for that moment in time when he opens her eyes. We want, them, we want to be a part of when Jesus convinces Israel that she's missed his heart, that she has a witness, that it is available, Right? And we can only do that if we, if we say yes to the process of growing in the tabernacle of David and the humility that it produces. That's what God wants us to do right now. We want to be ready for this convergence of time and space. It says in Ephesians 1.10 that at the, the fullness of times, God's going to bring everything in heaven and earth together in Jesus. The main part of that bringing together starts with Israel and the church coming together in the tabernacle of David. So that's where we want to be found. We want to be found giving the other servants the right food at the right time in the tabernacle of David. Okay. Now, item two, when the Lord brings back Zion, it's going to happen. He's going to bring back Zion. Okay. 
We don't have to wonder what we should be doing as God shakes Israel among the nations. The Bible's actually super clear about what God wants from us. Now, most of the Western church doesn't know that the Tabernacle of David isn't something IHOP invented in 1999. <laughs> the Tabernacle of David is not something IHOP invented in 1999. It's not something that the Moravians invented at Hernhut and did for 100 years. It's not something the Catholics invented and did for like 2,000 years and somewhere in Europe. There's been many expressions of the Tabernacle of David, but the Tabernacle of David is something that Jesus is building ever since he died and was resurrected again. He's been building the Tabernacle of David ever since, and it started in Acts 2 with them trying to do Joel 2. Joel got the idea from David, right? So this is something we want to understand. We don't have to wonder. It's actually super clear. It's just we live in a time where the church has become so self-focused It really has itching ears and just wants to hear what it wants to hear. And it does not want to hear that your life is a vapor and you should be throwing it at the feet of Jesus. It wants to hear that God just really cares mostly about you. Everything's centered around you. You should have an Instagram-style life. And if you don't, you're a failure. But if you trust God, maybe he'll give you one. Like, that's all apostasy. Your life doesn't mean anything unless you give it to God. You give it to God, he will do something with it you never imagined. But as long as you try to eke out a life like everybody else, it's going to end in futility, misery, and be worthless for, forever. And so don't buy into what the, the American Western church is trying to sell the world, thinking that it can make the church so popular that the nations cry out for Jesus. It's never going to happen. It's not going to happen that way. It's going to happen when we give ourselves to this man, and then he does something with us nobody thought he would do, and we become a witness that he takes dust and makes it into beautiful things, right? It's a, a good Gunger song. Now, uh, we don't have to wonder. COVID should have awoken us, awoken in us a very focused plan. God's intention with COVID was to spare us more tribulation. That's the, the promise to Thyatira, that if she would repent, that he would spare her from tribulation. But if she wouldn't, he would throw her on a sickbed and her children and then into great tribulation. Okay, so we should have a really focused plan coming out of COVID. We should, this should be the plan, to mature in unity, death to self, into one accord so that God could pour out his Holy Spirit, the spirit of prophecy, and we could witness in song to Israel as the Lord brings back Zion. Now, how many people do you think all over the planet know that we should have this focused plan coming out of COVID? Not very many people know this, but the Bible's actually clear about this, that this should be our focused plan, especially since coming out of COVID, coming into COVID. Do you know what was happening in Israel coming into COVID? Anybody know? Hmm? Okay, so I want you to think about peace and prosperity, President Trump and the nations all giving Israel a Peace plan, thank you, yes. So in December of 2019, the Trump administration wrote something called Prosperity to Peace, a peace plan that divided the land, divided the Temple Mount. Actually, tons of nations signed on board with it. A bunch of Arab nations signed on board with it, and shortly on the heels of it came out the Abraham Accords. And when it went global, like when it was released and people could read it, COVID went global at the exact same time, like literally within a week. God's judging the nations right now for trying to do what only God can do in Israel. Now, it was really significant to God that it was the Trump administration that did it because the Trump administration had a stamp of approval from the church. It's like the church did it, right? We should be repenting for that. We should be repenting, not that 
President Trump did anything. We don't need to repent for President Trump. We don't even have to have an opinion about President Trump, honestly. We need to repent for the ways that we try to do what only God can do in our own lives so that we can be witnesses of him changing us as we yield to him and becoming a prophetic witness to other people, right? It's never about what somebody else did wrong. It's always about how did I support that spiritual regime where this thing happened? Apparently, there's a bunch of spiritual entities that are empowered to do things that God doesn't like. How am I creating that culture as a spirit-filled person? When we're spirit-filled, we're responsible. That's the idea. David took that seriously. David was like, I'm spirit-filled. I'm responsible to listen to the spirit. Saul was also spirit-filled. He did not understand the responsibility, and he desolated Israel. Okay. So COVID should have awoken us to this specific plan, and this is the plan, to mature in unity, or death to self, into one accord, so that God could pour out his Holy Spirit of the spirit of prophecy, and we could witness in song to Israel as the Lord brings back Zion. Now, in your experience of church life, your personal experience, where have you seen the devil trying to stop unity? In your house. Good. Where else? Kids. The generations, yes. Where else? I mean, IHOP's a pretty good example, right? There's not much unity there right now. The place of prayer, have you experienced it at all here? Has it been, like, relationally a little tough here? Yes. That's because Satan actually knows this plan. We mostly don't understand how consequential our agreeing with the plan is, but we kind of know the plan, too. And God's going to hold us accountable for actually making steps to agree with the plan. So if this is the plan to mature in unity, does that mean that I tell Jen she has to start listening to and believing me more so that we don't have disagreements? No, that's not the biblical unity, right? If I want biblical unity with my sister Jen Morsman, I get close to Jesus and I start to see Jen the way that Jesus sees her. Unity is not me and Jen agreeing about Jesus. Unity is me and Jesus agreeing about Jen. And I'm just using Jen as an example because we talk all the time. But we, we should actually be agreeing with this. That, what this means is that when you have a rough morning with your spouse, the way that you choose to deal with that is consequential to Israel. Because it's consequential to the way you get along with other people. When you die to yourself, it doesn't just help Tom Morsman. It helps Tom Stoltz, right, if it's Jen. And it doesn't just help Samantha Stoltz, if it's me. It helps my friends, too. Like, when we die to ourselves, the, the consequences are glorious and lasting. And that's what he's given us so many opportunities in the last couple of years, especially since COVID. There's so much tension. That tension is a gift from God to open our eyes to the glory of the tabernacle of David. And even just practically during COVID, for a lot of us, the tabernacle of David was the one consistent, steady thing that gave meaning when everything else was shut down. Like, this is going to happen again. This is going to happen again. If you remember when that happened, there were lots of people that were like, I wish I would have spent more time there before this all happened. I wish I would have given my heart more to being changed so that I could actually enjoy this moment. I want to tell you something worse than COVID is on its heels. It's coming. And this is all a gift from God to get us ready for it. So if you can receive it in faith, you can walk on the water of what's coming. But if you can't, you're going to have to try and swim, and you can't swim. You need an ark, and this is an ark, okay? This is what this is. Okay, um, so Isaiah 52, 5, the, the main point of tonight. This is the passage. Now, therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Are any Jewish people been taken away for nothing? 
Can anybody pay for them? No. Yes, this is happening right now. Those who rule over them, make them wail, says the Lord. Who's ruling over Israel right now? The nations are trying to. And the nations do. I mean, Israel doesn't have an army without the United States. They, they literally cannot fund, the, they can't even build the parts, they don't have the patent on the missiles that go in the Iron Dome. Like, without the United States funding their army, they have no army. Without Russia supporting them, they lose a ton of security on their eastern side. Like, they need Egypt's peace agreement. They need Jordan's peace agreement. They are so dependent on the nation. I mean, they are fragile, fragile. The nations rule over them. And we're supposed to be a witness. You should have the fear of the Lord about that. That's God's people. And you want to be super careful, even though you're in power over them, how you handle them. You have to be super careful. And this is what God's really talking about right here. That my people are taken away for nothing. Those who rule over them make them wail, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. And this is true. This is happening right now. Egypt blasphemes God when they don't recognize these are God's people that were actually taken out of Egypt supernaturally. It's in both of our histories. The record of it's in the Red Sea. Like, this, is, this matters to Egypt and Israel, right? They should have the fear of the Lord, but they've lost it. Over time, they've, God's just become like every other God to them. And they don't think about it that way. Right? We don't want to be like that. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. Now, when you see this, when you see him, the Lord saying through Isaiah, my people, Israel, shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I, that I am who speaks. Behold, it is I. He's saying, I'm going to speak directly to them, but it's going to have to take faith for them to see it. Who is going to speak directly to them? Yes, us, the body of his son. The body of Yeshua is going to speak directly to them, and they're going to know that's God talking. Now, how are they going to know? It's on the next page. Okay, so page three of the notes. This is a direct reference to God speaking to Israel. It's a direct reference to the body of Jesus witnessing to Israel in agreement with John 17. So the unity Jesus prayed for in John 17, he said, when, 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 they, when the world sees that unity, they'll know I was sent by you, Father. Okay, and he asked the Father for that, not us. Isaiah 52, 7. So the very next verse from that Isaiah 52 passage we just read. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. So he says, they're going to say, behold, it's God talking, and it's these, whoever this is with beautiful feet on the mountains. That sounds so perfectly poetic. That sounds like, you know, song of songs. But it means something. Who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now, this is a reiteration of what Isaiah said in Isaiah 35. Strengthen the feeble, strengthen the weak. Tell them, you're, be strong. Your God's going to come and give you victory, right? This is the same statement. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Who's that talking about? Witnesses, yes, Jesus' body, exactly. This is Jesus coming in the form of his body, bringing glad tidings of good things, proclaiming salvation, saying to Israel, to Zion, your God reigns. It's, we don't need you to convert to our religion. It's your God that reigns. Israel does not need to be converted to Christianity. Christianity is simply believing that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. We need to be actually converted more deeply into a faithfulness to Yeshua, right? And we both need it. Israel needs it, and so do we. So there's a mistaken idea that Israel has got to convert to Christianity. That's ridiculous. There is no Christianity without Judaism. There is no Jewish Messiah without Jewish people. We need to actually recognize our dependence upon what Israel's already done to bring forward a Messiah. That's humility on both sides, okay? 
So again, this is speaking of the church from the nations, though, from the Gentile nations. The Bible makes this super clear that this is what this is talking about, Gentiles. Now, we can know that for sure because Paul put a very fine point on it in Romans 10, speaking directly to Gentiles. He says, though I'm a Jewish person, I speak to you Gentiles, and I magnify my ministry. Remember that? He's speaking directly to Gentiles from the nations, okay? So this is speaking of the church from the nations, Gentiles. The Bible makes this crystal clear, speaking directly to Gentile believers. The Holy Spirit defines the Isaiah 52, and also I'll throw in there Isaiah 62 prophecy, as being fulfilled by the church yielding to the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is Romans 10, 12 to 15. So Paul, he quotes Isaiah 52 in this statement in Romans 10. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, this should make you think of a prophecy in the Bible from the book of Joel, and it happens right after God pours out his spirit. He says, I'll pour out my spirit, men servants, maid servants, and then everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul's mixing together this Isaiah prophecy and Joel too, okay? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things. And he's saying this to Gentile believers about their responsibility towards Israel in Romans 10 and 11. So we have to look at this and say, okay, well, what is Paul saying? And the church has looked at this over the centuries. It's looked at this, and what it's concluded is that Paul is saying, we need to print some tracts. Get some missionaries there over there to Israel, set up some churches, and get those people to see they need to accept Christianity. But that's not what this is saying. What this is saying, according to Isaiah 52, which we already are in the process of reading, is the tabernacle of David needs to be reconstructed. The preaching is not preaching like I'm doing right now. The preaching is preaching like Noah preached. Anybody ever heard that Noah was a preacher? Noah was a preacher of what? Righteousness. How did Noah preach righteousness? He built an ark. He lived it out. He lived out faith in God and got vindicated by flooding the earth where he, where he lived and then the whole earth. And the very same flood that drowned everybody that was unrighteous raised up the ark of the man who was righteous as a witness to us, as a witness to us that it makes sense to obey God because the witness that it could have been to all the people that were drowning, they didn't last very long after that. But we have this prophetic testimony of Noah, and we can know for sure that when the Bible says preaches, it doesn't just mean North American circa 1900 preaching where a bunch of people listen to a guy talk. That's not the preaching this is talking about. This is talking about living the gospel, living out the the prophetic promise that Israel's going to see David and Yeshua and Yeshua and David. And the way she's going to see that is the tabernacle of David. It's going to, she's going to see that when people get together, make space to thank God that he's given them a place to get together and make space. They enthrone him on their praise, and they pray and sing prophetically. It would be better that we never prayed and sung at all that if we didn't pray and sing prophetically, because otherwise we're offering worship in vain. If we're not worshiping in spirit and truth, we're really not worshiping God. This is the, the point, is God doesn't want a false witness to Israel from the church of people that sing hymns, wrote religion, that just do what they're supposed to do, and hope everybody at some point wants their dead, boring religion. God never, that, that is such a disservice to God. 
He wants a prophetic people that are on fire in love with him because he's changing them from selfish people to selfless people. And not only are they benefiting from it, but their families are benefiting from it. Their church is benefiting from it. Their city is benefiting from it. And eventually Israel is going to benefit from this internal kingdom coming from inside out, not top down. Right? This is what, this is what the tabernacle of David is really about. So this preaching isn't Western American Christian pulpit preaching. The Bible is crystal clear, crystal clear. This isn't just a Tom Stoltz idea because I like that lighthouse of prayer. This is what the Bible says. So, okay, so the very next verse in Isaiah 52, 8, after that, the beautiful feet, good tidings, good things, Paul says, that beautiful feet is about preaching. Isaiah says, well, wait a second, Paul. Let's tell them what the preaching is, okay? So this is what it says. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices, they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Wait. Whoa. There's a lot in this passage right here, isn't there? Who's going to see eye to eye when God brings back Zion? The watchman, the body, the body of believers that's singing to Israel is going to see eye to eye. Do you, do you see a need for this right now in the nations that the church actually has a ton of division in itself? And God says the focal point of unity is actually going to be me bringing back Zion in the tabernacle of David. You try to get together and do what David did, you're going to find the same thing that David found, which is this isn't about me telling you what to do with everybody else, God. This is about you telling me what you made me for, what you want to do with me, and that I can afford to love my enemies. David would go into the tabernacle, and he would tell God about his enemies and how they were persecuting and chasing him. He'd come out, and he'd forgive Saul. He'd actually not kill Saul when he could. The tabernacle of David changed David, and then it changed David's friends. It changed David's friends' kids. It changed David's city, Jerusalem. It actually changed the name from Jabez to Jerusalem. And even to this day is the one city on the planet all the religions claim they want. Because they don't want Jesus there. They don't want the heart of David there. Like, this is real. This is real. It really works. It really transforms everything. This is the preaching that God wants in Israel. It's just people that do the tabernacle of David and learn selflessness and are a witness that they could actually trade this life for a life in God and not fall, that they could just not be destroyed in that process. Okay? That's all God wants is for Israel to put their trust in God, not in man, right? It's the tabernacle of David that we find unity by sifting the washing machine and that Israel will see unity prophetically and that Israel will respond to in unity in prophetic songs. So when Israel sees this, they're going to break into song. Israel's going to see a group of people starting to get unity as they fix their eyes on God bringing back Zion, and they're going to sing prophetic songs. Israel, your God reigns. I've literally gotten to sing. Israel, your God reigns through a war in Israel for like two months. I got to sing. over Every night, I just sing it on the little live stream. Your God reigns, Israel. Your God reigns. Because Israel thinks that I'm of a different religion than they are, but I'm not. I believe in their God. I don't need them to, to see my God. My God is their God. I just want them to see I think Yeshua is the son of their God. That's it. And so this is going to literally work. It's going to work. It's amazing. So all the nations will know this is how God reached Israel, defeated her enemies, refreshed the land, healed the people, just like in David's day. He just wants a witness to the rest of the nations that starts in Israel that you can submit to this king and it'll go well for you. 
You can just give in to this king's leadership and the way that his government runs. His government runs musically, prophetically, in night and day prayer. That's what David did, and that's what changed Israel dramatically. When David did this, it literally transformed Israel from a divided nation to one united nation. It transformed an economy that was completely broken down. People were desperate for David to be their king because Saul and his family were terrible at leading. It took a nation that the Philistines were constantly advancing against and the other nations were advancing against, and it expanded the borders to the point where there's so much peace. David got in trouble for being too easy, right? It changed the economy. It changed healing. Like the Psalms are full of testimonies of bodies being healed before the Spirit was poured out. The Psalms talk about bodies being healed before the Spirit was poured out. David taught his military commander's kids to prophesy before Jesus died on the cross and gave his Spirit. This is what God's looking for, for the nations to be renewed and refreshed, right? Are the nations growing weary? Yeah, because they're trying to fuel a vain fire is the way that Habakkuk said it. Why do the nations rage trying to fuel a vain fire? Don't they know the glory of the Lord's going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea? We're the witnesses of that. We're the witnesses that his fire is good. It refines us. We just give ourselves to prophetically coming together. And yes, we find when we all try to hear God, we all hear something different because God is big. He is big, and he's got a lot to say, but we can actually learn how to just yield to what God's doing. We can trust him with each other. We can trust him with the movement. We can trust him with the house. We can trust him with this. He gave us this. We don't have to keep it for him. We want to give ourselves to him and become a witness that he reigns, and it's not our God. It's Israel's God, and that when Israel's under the pressure of the flame of fire, we can say to her, I, gotta t- I know what it feels like to be hated by the nations. I know what it feels like to be hated by my family. I know what it feels like to be hated by my church. I know what it feels like to be hated in this city. And I want to tell you, it's okay. God loves you. And that's enough. It's enough that God loves you. And you can afford to forgive your enemies. You can afford to not fight on your own. You can afford to call out to God. You can afford to do what Jehoshaphat did. Get the worshipers together. Send the worshipers first. Israel, you can afford to win Gaza with worship. You can. She can. And if she did it, the Gaza war would be over right now. And it's probably not the Gaza war that's going to do it. It's probably the war of the nations coming against her to fix the Gaza problem that's going to do it. But it's coming soon. Can you see it? Can you see the nations? They don't want Israel committing genocide, and they feel like it's a life-or-death situation, and they're going to do something about it. Because Israel can't not do what she's doing. Literally, she has no choice. The people that she's fighting against, if she stops fighting, they will kill her. All of her. All of her. There is no peace with people that want your extinction. This is a, a, there's, this is a checkmate situation. And God's brought the nations to a checkmate right now. And you're witnessing it. And you're in a tabernacle of David, and God's going to use the tabernacle of David to witness to Israel. And Israel, believe it or not, the city of Jerusalem feels like a pretty small town. It really does. It's not going to take a lot to touch Israel prophetically. It's not. I mean, we've seen in the Bible many people who were nobodies touched Israel prophetically, and it radically changed Jabus into Jerusalem. Okay, uh, just a couple more things here. So all the nations will see this. This is what it says next. When, when Israel's watchmen lift up their voices, they sing together. That's what we're doing here. They see eye to eye. That's what we're learning to do here. When the Lord brings back Zion, this is what Israel's response is going to be. Isaiah 52, 9. Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. Israel's going to be like, I'm singing too. If that's all they're doing, just singing, we love to sing to God. We'll do it too. We'll just do it in faith. We'll do it. What, what is this thing you're talking about? The Holy Spirit? It'll be like, 
You know what, Israel, this was a promise, not in the New Testament, this is a promise in Joel 2. And the New Testament is really built on the foundation of Joel 2, and Joel 2 is really built on the foundation of David. It's your God and your people that have always had the spirit, Israel. Just come, take what's yours. And there's a spiritual jealousy that will be provoked by people that are operating in the Holy Spirit and saying, no, it's not for you to come to us. We're, it's just, it's a benefit that we got that God's trying to reach you. It's just for you. Your God reigns, right? Isn't that beautiful? I just think the, po- the poetry of what God's doing, his kindness and mercy and generosity to a nation that fully rejected him. He never rejected them. He didn't throw away broken things. That could give us a lot of confidence because I've stumbled a little bit. I've rejected him in ways I didn't realize it. And he's so merciful. He's waited 2,000 years just to pour out his love on her through us, through us. And we need it, right? We need that love. Okay, so break forth into joy. The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. It's not just Israel that he loves. If Hamas could see this, she'd stop fighting Israel. She'd see, oh, he's, he's working through Israel to reach me. He loves Hamas. He loves Egypt. He loves the people of Jordan. He made them all. He loves the people of Ukraine. He, lo- he made Adolf Hitler. He made him, he formed him for a purpose. It's unfortunate that Hitler didn't seem to have found that. It's unfortunate Hamas doesn't seem to be finding that, but there's only one way anyone's going to find it. It's a witness. There's only one way. There's 7.8 billion people on this planet. The vast majority have never seen a witness of the Holy Spirit. The vast majority have never seen a witness of the Holy Spirit. We're not running out of time for them to see the witness of the Holy Spirit. We're running out of time to be the witness of the Holy Spirit to them. But they're going to get a witness because God is so merciful. He's so loving. He's so kind. But he's lavished on us, lavished on us a gift so rare, so unique, so weird, but so powerful. Has it been powerful for you at all? It's been powerful for me. It's shown me things. I read my Bible for two hours every day for 10 years. I didn't know any of these things. I started to pray and just ask God for a tabernacle of David, and bam, 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 bam. He just started to unlock what's obviously clear in the Bible. He's so generous. He's, he's lavished something upon us that we should not waste, okay? So then this is what they'll say. Depart, depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Now, this is a direct reference to come out of Babylon. What the nations, when the nations see this, they'll start to say to each other, come out. Come out of the nations. Come out of this earthly agreement that's actually at war with what's good. And come into the clean thing, especially you who bear the vessels of the Lord. You who have any contact with Israel, get the fear of the Lord right now. Realize that's a holy thing your hand is on. Now, he's talking to America, I believe, really strongly right now about this reality. I believe America fits the bill for the end-time Babylon better than any nation that's ever, ever inhabited planet Earth. We might not be the end-time Babylon, but if we aren't, we should be repenting like we are because we literally fit the bill. Okay, and I'm going to read you a little bit of this. So this is what Satan's warring against, this, this Isaiah 52 reality, this unity, singing night and day, having faith 
that what Israel needs is just a witness of the tabernacle of David. She doesn't need, like, Billy Graham, you know, to reincarnate and go tell her about Jesus. She doesn't need to be converted. She doesn't need some big-name preacher. She actually needs to see people that are changed by God. That's it. Just people that were weak and needy, and God did something with them. This is why God is allowing the prayer movement to be sifted, to get purity and unity. In 2024, there'll be an expression of unity in the church. I'm prophesying over you right now that the world has literally never witnessed before. The world has literally never seen what God is about to do before. You want to be a part of it. In my opinion, don't miss it. God won't make anyone choose it. He will bless it, though. And the way that you don't miss it is you just appreciate what he's given you. You just believe this thing works. You just simply say, you know what? I'm going to stop asking him, is it going to work out? Is this the right place? Is it going to do it? I don't know. It looks like it's dying. You just say, you know what? He gave it to me. He's good. I'm weak. I need him. He gave me something I need. Thank you, God. I'm going to appreciate it. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm just going to come and serve this place. I'm going to serve his purpose here, right? That's what he's looking for. That's what David did. David just set up a tent and then served his own tent. You want to do that too. Get, go out of her, refers to Babylon. The nations are currently gathering to deal with Israel. Though some help her, it's for selfish reasons. And that actually says that in Daniel 11. Only the night and day singing watchman can help her in agreement with what's prophesied. God has given Israel into the hands of Babylon and will judge Babylon for the mistreatment of Israel. This is Isaiah 47, 5 to 11. Abigail, you want to come back up? Oh, how beautiful, oh, beautiful Babylon. This is the, uh, I think this is the NLT. Sit now in darkness and silence. Never again will you be known as queen of kingdoms. And you should just picture the Statue of Liberty right now. The whole world, when they think of America, they think of Lady Liberty. They think of freedom. They think of you can go there and pick any life you want to. That's an abomination. That isn't what America was founded on. America wasn't go there and pick any life you want to. America is we've got to get away from King James because he tells us that we've got to see God a certain way. I just want to go worship God somewhere. And it's become... Take, eat, anything you want. Just take for you. And he's going to judge us for that. He is judging us for that right now. And he says this. He says, I was angry with my chosen people and punished them by letting them fall into your hands. Do you know that Israel is in America's hands in many ways? Do you know that's a judgment against America? Nobody can handle Israel rightly like God could. He's judging America. That's what he says. He's angry with them, and he punished them by letting them fall into our hands. But you, Babylon, showed him no mercy. You oppressed even the elderly. You said, I'll reign forever as queen of the world. I'll just issue my decrees over Israel like it doesn't matter, like they're candy. I'll just hand them out. I'll give her weapons when I want to. I'll withhold them when I want to. She'll do what I want. And he says, I will destroy you for that. And that's what we do. You did not reflect on your actions or think about their consequences. Listen to this. You pleasure-loving kingdom, living at ease and feeling secure. You say, I am the only one. There is no other. I will never be a widow or lose my children. Well, both of these things will come upon you in a moment. Widowhood and the loss of your children. Yes, these calamities will come upon you despite all your witchcraft and magic. You felt secure in your wickedness. No one sees me, you said, but your wisdom and knowledge have led you astray. You said, I'm the only one. There is no other. So disaster will overtake you, and you won't be able to charm it away. Calamity will fall upon you. You won't be able to buy your way out. A catastrophe will strike you suddenly, one for which you are not prepared. The great news is that David's tabernacle is the answer for Babylon too. We can come out right now. That's the cup mixed double. If you want that, stand with me. I think what God wants to release to us is just a grace 
to see how easy it is to be safe. It's so easy to get out of the judgment of the nations. He's made it easy on purpose because he doesn't really want anyone to perish. His will is that none would perish. But he's long-suffering. He won't make us get into the safe place. So if you want that, if you just want to see the tabernacle of David the way Jesus does, if you want to know with confidence that God loves you, and that's why he's brought you here, we're just going to tell him, Holy Spirit, right now, fill us with a gratitude for the love that you lavish on us every day. Now, maybe you've come here for years and you didn't even know why you were coming here. You thought you were coming here because like, we needed to pray. He's still lavishing his love on you. He's still speaking to you right now. Holy Spirit, just help us to forget what's behind us and run a race, not based on what we've done or what we're even what we're going to do, but what you've done. God, would you help us to run a race like David, like Jesus, like Paul, that our strength has nothing to do with your goodness, your generosity. Lord, I thank you for putting a tabernacle of David in Kalamazoo. I thank you for putting several, actually, in Kalamazoo. That you love Kalamazoo so much. That means you love my kids so much. You love my friends so much. Lord, let our hearts overflow with gratitude. Would you do that to Yeshua right now? Would you pour out your fire? Just your fiery love. I was at... Um, Jesus culture in Chicago back in 2011 and I walked into the building and then my, my, I just could feel my chest pounding. I'm like, God, what is that? He's like, that's my presence. And tonight I was, I was just remembering that and I was thinking, man, I, I wonder if Abigail remembers that. And then I realized Abigail was a tiny little kid. She wasn't there. <laughs> and he said, Tom, it doesn't take 15,000 people in the stadium for that. I'll do that right here if you want. Do you want that? Holy Spirit, pour out your fire in this room. Pour out your fire, God, that electricity of agreeing with you about your divine purpose at the right time. Pour out your fire, God. Forgive us for our dullness. Now, we're not even going to feel guilty about it. We're just going to put it in the ground right now, just our dullness. We don't want it. Just give us faith, God. Give us fire. Just thanksgiving that you love us and that we're doing something real in Jesus' name. Amen.